Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. So delighted to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we do not have a particular item to show you. No, this shop is full of items from history, items in antiquity, haunted items, bizarre items, and unusual fare. But what we have today is something my shop clerk, Mordecai, was showing me earlier. Now, normally I scold Mordecai when I see him playing on his phone when he should be working here in the shop. There are many things that could catch one unawares here. But today, Mordecai showed me what could be the future. Various apps, chatbots, artificial intelligence, and the like. Now, AI is a topic these days that scares some and fill others with excitement. And therein lies the essence of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new film, The Creator. So The Creator came out this past Friday, and it's one of those movies, as soon as I saw the trailer for it, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm all in on this, because you have a lot of things going for it. One, it's a sci-fi film, and outside of eh, things like Dune, the new Dune that's coming out probably sometime next year, that's probably one of the few really big-budget sci-fi spectacles that we've seen. I mean, Avatar 2 was in there as well, but you don't get a ton of big sci-fi films anymore, and it's sad. Fantasy is the same way. I mean, horror gets a lot of uh, big-budget uh, play, but sci-fi and fantasy as well, kind of the uh, forgotten children in genre, it feels like sometimes. And so when I found out that this sci-fi spectacle, the creator was going to be coming to the big screen, uh, big budget, I thought, we'll get into that uh, coming up later, but uh, when I found out the man behind it, Gareth Edwards, was involved in this, and Gareth Edwards is a director... While he lacks in a huge resume when it comes to movies, all of his movies are really good. All of his movies I've really enjoyed. And, you know, his last movie before this was in 2016. So that's like a seven-year gap between movies. And, and there are multiple-year gaps between his films. And, and it just shows me that this is a guy who takes his time picking the right films and for my money everything gareth edwards has done from monsters in 2010 a film i really loved uh, godzilla in 2014 i really liked the reboot of that franchise with that movie i know it gets a lot of flack but i think what people don't like about that is what makes gareth Edwards movies, Gareth Edwards movies. And then, of course, Rogue One, a Star Wars story in 2016. I mean, what Star Wars fan doesn't love that? And then now the creator. So the guy has done a lot of great movies that I really like and is one of those directors now. I mean, just, you know, this is four really good movies that I've enjoyed in a row. I can't wait to see more. It's a shame that he, he takes so long in between films. But... I do know that the next Gareth Edwards movies that come out, uh, I'm probably going to like them. And this movie does feel very much like a Gareth Edwards movie. Gareth Edwards movies are, uh, for lack of a better term, quiet spectacles. You get all the grandeur. You get all the, the big budget feel. You get the big... Uh, scope of things and and he plays a lot with scale in, in his movies and I, I really appreciate that I mean there's a lot going on a Rogue One I mean it is a Star Wars rebel movie there's a lot of action same with the creator Godzilla it's a monster movie monsters again another monster movie there's explosions and all this stuff going on but he does it quietly and by that I mean he's very patient with his movies some people, I think, don't like Gareth Edward films because they can feel a little 
not even like a slow burn. They're just very methodically paced. And I think he does that because he is focusing on something bigger than the explosions, bigger than the blockbusterness of the movie. He focuses mainly on characters and character development and story development through those characters. And that can make films feel a little little drawn out. I don't think that's a bad thing. There's a difference between a movie being slow-paced and a movie being boring. These movies are definitely slower-paced movies, but they're certainly not boring because you've got a lot of action. You've got a lot of uh, involvement with character development and the stories being told through the perspective of these characters. So I, I say that hesitantly because I'm sure there are some people that are going to take that the wrong way. His movies are slower paced, they're methodical, but they're certainly not boring. And and I think that is probably one of the things that make uh, Gareth Edwards' particular style the Gareth Edwards style of his movies. You, you got it in Monsters. Uh, you got it in Godzilla. You got it in Rogue One. You got it in The Creator. Moments where you do have the explosions, you do have the the firefights and, and all the monsters and the big bangs and booms, but then you have a lot of quiet moments in between those where you get a lot of character development and that can make that can make a, a film feel slower. Uh, like I said, though, for me, not boring. Uh, and, and I think there are some people, I got a friend of mine, I always pick on him because he'll talk about, oh, I didn't like this movie and it was boring. And I said, yeah, God forbid they have any character development in the movie. And, and I think where Gareth Edwards takes the time to, to have those quiet moments where characters and scenes play out to develop the story. I think that's an aspect of a lot of his movies that you get that, yeah, some people love it or hate it. I, I particularly love it. I, I love a movie that, while it's interesting and exciting, it has the patience to let the movie play out. Now, that's not to say that I thought this movie could have been a little shorter. It's about two hours and 13 minutes. It's one of those movies where it could have been longer if they focused on expanding on some of the main themes. But as it was, I thought it could have been a, a little bit shorter just to tighten things up and not make it feel like it was so long. But this movie, before we get into some spoiler territory, was an excellent movie. I enjoyed this probably a lot more than I expected once I realized what the movie was, if that makes any sense. And I'll give you some context. When I saw the trailer for this, I had the expectations of what kind of movie this was going to be. This is about a war between humanity and AI robots. And I thought we were going to get more of a, a war movie out of this. I thought there was going to be more action and less kind of heartfelt scenes. And when you got down to this, this was more about two characters. The Joshua character played by John David Washington and the Alfie character played by Madeline Univoyles. And I know you're going to hear a lot of comparisons to The Last of Us. You know, there are a lot of movies out there with an adult protagonist having to carry along or or travel with a young companion. It's not ripping anybody off. It's not homage. It is a plot point and a story type that has stood the test of time. Uh, there are a lot of successful movies based on this older protector, younger protectee, and both of those learning from each other. And in the end, sometimes the protectee protects the protector. It, you know, it's just a trope that has been used time and again. And this won't be the last time we've seen it. But you have this these two characters. And it is their story uh, of learning each other. And learning the bigger themes of this movie set in a wartime environment. This movie very much does have a a feel of like some of the old classic Vietnam War movies. And and I think to some degree where those are about the characters but you're kind of thrust in the middle of the war, I think this movie kind of felt more kind of like Full Metal Jacket, especially the second half of Full Metal Jacket, not necessarily the first part with uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, but once you get into these characters in Vietnam and it's it's about these characters but set in, with 
with the Vietnam War as the backdrop. And that, that's kind of what you get with this. This is set in a wartime era of this world, but it's more about these two characters and their journey with the war being the backdrop for that. And speaking of the characters, this just has a wonderful cast. John David Washington uh, rocks solid as the lead in this. Uh, Madeleine Yuno Voiles stole the show. Gemma Chan is fantastic. Ken Watanabe is really good in this. Ralph Einstein is good. Allison Janney and Mark Manchaka uh, are, are kind of a duo in this and play just despicable villains. <laughs> and and I mean that in the best way because they're, they're so good at what they do. And Allison Janney really kind of playing against type, uh, playing a bad guy and really kind of pulling out the menace. I felt I uh, really enjoyed her. Amar Chata Patel has a, has a small part in this. I would have liked to really seen his character uh, or at least him as an actor uh, being able to, to act a little more. Uh, but but I did like seeing him in this. So uh, a fantastic cast. And if you haven't watched this, a really stunning visual movie to watch. It is a movie that looks bigger budgeted than it really is and for what they spent on this movie which uh it's not a spoiler but we'll, we'll talk about that more in the spoiler section this movie cost a fraction of what some of the big budget blockbusters especially you know this is a 20th century studios film which is owned by disney and this movie for a fraction of the price looks better than some of the the big budget disney marvel and star wars projects as far as special effects go and, and we'll get into what they did different with the special effects in this movie that that made it so cost effective and so effective. But if you haven't watched The Creator, go check it out. It's in movie theaters now. Do not wait to watch this on streaming because you can't sit there and bitch that Hollywood doesn't have any new ideas. And then when a fresh idea comes along or a fresh movie that's not a sequel, it's not a part of a franchise, it's not a part of an already established IP. When something like this comes along, you gotta fucking support it in the theaters. Don't wait till it comes out on streaming and then wonder why all it is is Marvel sequels in the movie theaters. Can't have it both ways. So go check this out in theaters, then come back, hear my thoughts on it, and uh, see if you enjoyed this movie as much as I did. But uh, if you haven't watched this movie, or we are going to get into some spoiler territory right now. So if you haven't watched it, go check it out, come back. But if you haven't watched it or you don't care about spoilers... You know, sci-fi is not your thing, but you're interested to hear about this movie, and then maybe you'll go see it. Hopefully you'll go see it after I talk about it, even though I've spoiled a ton of shit for you. I'm going to try not to be too spoiler as far as play-by-play. -play. We're going to talk about some of the major themes and things going on in this, but uh, from here on out, we are going to get into some spoilers. So one of the things I thought was really cool about this, and I went to see this movie with my brother-in-law. Now, the last time my brother-in-law went to see a movie together, we went and saw Morbius and he fell asleep uh, probably, I mean, he got through most of the movie. Uh, it was towards the end that he, he fell asleep because, uh, let's be honest, as much as I wanted to like Morbius, it was kind of a snoozer of a movie. Outside of a couple things, Matt Smith's performance was, of course, great. Jared Leto wasn't bad. It just wasn't a very engaging movie, and they cut all the good stuff out of it that they had in the trailer. But uh, but yeah, he ended up falling asleep during that. I was wondering, because he works a really stressful and intense job. I won't get into those details. Uh, that's his personal life. But, uh, but I do know that he is sleep deprived most of the time. So I thought just, just by the sheer fact that we're getting these, you know, seats in the movie here that kind of tilt back and you can rock in them and it's dark. I figured, you know, he's going to fall asleep, but he didn't. Uh, he, and, and we talked about this movie a lot on the drive back to my place. And uh, and one of the things that I pointed out that he didn't really, I don't know if he didn't get or just didn't click uh, when it happened, but you have to look at this movie as being in a bit of an alternate reality because they start out this movie with some of those old-timey newsreels that you would get in the 40s and 50s before a movie. Uh, it would start out with this newsreel and it's starting to talk about artificial intelligence. And then you get some of those old films from the 50s and 60s talking about the modern home. And, and it shows 
the advancement of AI much earlier in our history than it actually began. It's showing AI starting back as early as the 40s, 50s, and you saw clips of these robots helping out people, and you see the AI and robots developed a lot sooner in our country, in our world's history, in this timeline, in this alternate universe. And then, of course, when we get to present day, we're at the point where you have artificial intelligence. You have some that look like regular boxy robots, but then you have some that look more humanoid, but with a robot face. Uh, usually in, in the context of this movie, in this war, they're kind of the grunts. Uh, but then you also have AI robots that they call simulants, which have uh, essentially a robotic head, but there is a, a flesh-type substance covering it to give it a human face. And it's established in this movie that you can donate your likeness to AI so they can, you know, assimilate more into society. And it's a whole thing, and they don't really delve into it, but it is a part of the story and a part of where things go, even though it's not a main thing, but it really adds some depth to the world. And I really liked this intro because it did kind of show that AI and robotics in this universe started long before it's been a thing here in our world. And it just gave you a little more context as to, you know, how far things have come from there to here. Another thing I thought was really interesting is that this is set in 2065, so a not too distant future. And, and I like how they established that AI and robots and stuff advanced earlier in the timeline of this alternate universe, uh, Earth, uh, sooner than here. But it still didn't feel like so much of a distant future that it couldn't be plausible for us today. And I liked how, you know, some of the weapons and some of the vehicles and some of the buildings all looked futuristic but grounded in a reality that we are are still accustomed are still accustomed to uh, right now in this universe so again it was it was set in a not too distant future it was futuristic but it was grounded in a reality that we can relate to and it did all seem very plausible like you know if we keep on this track uh this could be us in maybe not 2065 but not too long after that, which I thought was a really interesting uh, angle to take on this movie and an aspect of this movie that, uh, you know, while it is fantasy, it is science fiction, it is futuristic, it is still grounded in a reality that we could all see ourselves in uh, somewhere down the road. Now, the other thing that I thought was really kind of interesting, and we're going to talk about this, and this is probably going to be the biggest spoiler right off the bat, because we're going to talk about how things are set up and how it's revealed later on in the movie. But this war between humanity and essentially the United States, the United States is kind of the big bad guy in this, which we'll get to my feelings on that a little later. But uh, you have humanity that is against AI, and there's this war going on between the United States States and AI and of course New Asia which is a I mean they show it on the map it looks like a combination of like uh, the Vietnam Cambodia area like Southeast Asia not necessarily China so much I think for political purposes they wanted to keep away from that but you have this section New Asia that has embraced AI and is in living in harmony with AI so you have a lot of conflict between the United States sending in troops and missions into New Asia to combat AI and this is all prompted by the fact that at the beginning of this movie, the war between humanity, or at least the United States, and AI started when AI supposedly dropped a nuclear bomb on Los Angeles and started this war. And I like how they set it up like that. You kind of have this bit of a red herring that the AI you know, started this war. They attacked humanity first. They are the real bad guys. But then it turned out that... The whole reason the bomb was dropped in the first place was a coding error, and it was an accident. 
and the government, the United States government, in covering this up, looked for a scapegoat. AI was the easiest scapegoat because they're just robots. And it all started this whole thing. And granted, now that's kind of leans into a lot of conspiracy theories. And, and my brother-in-law and I talked about this on the way home. That's one of the things I, I kind of was like, okay, was the whole United States is the bad guy thing. Uh, you know, when we were growing up, or at least my generation, when you were growing up, it was the Russians. They were the bad guys. And that was just how things were portrayed in movies. The Russians were the bad guys. This was in the middle of the Cold War. Uh, once you get into the 90s and into the 2000s, I think things kind of switched to China and North Korea. Also, the Middle East and, and terrorism. You know, all those, depending on what year it happened to be and what uh, state we were geopolitically at any given moment but it's always been some other country that's been the bad guy and my brother-in-law made the the point that i guess it's just our turn and to, yeah i guess that is true but it just plays into the the conspiracy theories that our government is is horrible and and granted I'm not going to say that our government is great. Our government does a lot of shady shit and keeps it on the DL. But when you look at it from a individual country standpoint, yeah, we do a lot of horrible shit, but we also do a lot of good shit as a country. And it just felt very much uh, going to bite the hand that feeds you. Now, I know Gareth Edwards is a Brit, so yeah, he's not beholden to the United States. But being a Hollywood film, yeah, it just did really feel like it. And, and it's going to be a lot of American dollars and a lot of Americans going to, to watch this movie. It just really did feel like a bite in the hand that feeds you. And I can't say it's not justified. Like I said, you know, the United States government does a lot of shady shit and covers it up and there's a history of that and i can't even say it's all conspiracy theory even though it does open the door to conspiracy theories because when you get caught doing that shit it sets a precedence for all the shit that people make up and think that you're doing in the in the shadows but but at any rate uh i i don't know i felt a little weird about the united states being the the government, but then in a bigger picture, when you look at the United States as kind of maybe not the center of civilization, but to a degree, the United States, for better or worse, is kind of the measuring stick that everyone else is trying to either be like or be the opposite of, uh, again, for better or worse. So when you take the United States and make it the surrogate for humanity and all the good and all the bad that humanity can be, it's an interesting representation. And and I thought it was really interesting to see how that sort of shit does go on. You have uh, a catastrophe happening and you've got this government pointing the finger and, oh, you did this. They're the bad guy. Look at look at over there. And it's it's that sort of misdirection and deflecting that uh, I mean, American politicians are known for that, and they excel at that. Uh, don't look at the the bad thing I've just done. Look over here. That that person. They've they've done this. They've done that. Uh, you got a, a good, an interesting representation of that with this whole bombing incident that springboards this war between humanity and artificial intelligence. And well, it, you know, it's one of those situations where I guess it just puts a mirror up to you as an American citizen, puts a mirror up to you as a citizen of humanity, a citizen of the world, and makes you think about your place and what you're willing to support, what you're not willing to support. And and I don't think it's a bad thing. It, it you know, as I'm kind of working through this right here as I'm talking about it, it it's making me open my eyes and my mind to uh, aspects that I, I didn't think about before. So I don't know if it was a good thing. I don't know if it was a bad thing. I, I was terribly offended as a citizen of the United States uh, when United States is the bad guy, but I'm sure the regular average Russian citizen who who doesn't give a shit what their leader's doing, they're just trying to make their way in the world and love their family and care for their family as best they can, uh, probably the same way they felt in the 80s when Russia was always being painted as the bad guy. So there again, this just starts off uh, this being one of those movies that is going to make you think. 
It is going to make you think about your prejudices. It is going to make you think about the way you react to things in a in a global and even on a on a macro and even a micro level in your own personal life. And we'll, we'll get into some of those those bigger themes a little bit later. But the start of this story is basically this character played by. John David Washington, Denzel Washington's son. And there were several times through this movie where he would speak lines of dialogue and it sounded exactly like Denzel Washington. It was just amazing. I mean, as far as looks go, I mean, there are some features he has that, of course, is going to look like Denzel. Uh, And not every line he delivers sounds like Denzel, but there were just certain lines and certain ways that he said things. I'm like, oh my God, he sounds just like his dad. But you've got this character, Joshua Taylor. He's a military guy. He's undercover. But as he gets deep undercover he as they they even say in this goes native and falls in love and marries the person that he's supposed to be tailing and finding out where uh, her father is uh, Maya Faye Taylor played by Gemma Chan her father is the creator of this artificial intelligence Nirmada they call it kind of like the god of all the AI intelligence Josh is trying to to find this father of hers this Nirmada then the US government attacks kind of blows his whole cover his wife realizes who he is and what he's been up to uh, she leaves him and in the midst of the firefight there's an explosion he thinks his wife has died and then five years later he's sent on a reconnaissance mission because he thinks there's evidence that his wife is still alive and he needs to destroy this Nirmada and the new weapon that has been developed by the AI that could end the war and possibly even humanity. And as you saw in the trailer, he finds out that this weapon is in the guise of a six-year-old girl. And then the bulk of this movie is really just Josh finding this weapon known as Alpha Omega, which he begins to call Alfie eventually once they kind of start a bond. She seems to know where his wife may be. And he goes on a quest not necessarily to save this robot that looks like a child he just wants to find his wife Maya and he starts off as the good soldier just doing what the government's told him to do uh the AI they're just robots that killing them is just turning them off nothing more nothing less they're just machines but through his interactions with this child who is AI and is some of the most advanced AI that the world has ever seen. He learns that AI and these robots are more than just pieces of machine to be turned on and off. There's some humanity to it. And that's that's ultimately what this movie is. This movie is a movie that asks the question, what is humanity? What makes a human human? Is it just the flesh and bone? Is it emotion and feeling? Is it a soul? What comprises a soul? What has a soul? What doesn't have a soul? I mean, there's a lot of things going on in there. And it really kind of holds a mirror up to humanity. Now, there are a lot of bigger questions as well beyond just, uh, you know, what makes humans human? What makes humanity humanity? There's a lot of prejudice involved in this and a lot of, you know, almost bordering on a a new type of racism where uh, humans are prejudiced uh, against robots in the United States. But in this other country, New Asia, they're more accepting. So it really has a lot of comparisons to race. It also, I think, even beyond just race, it has a lot of comparisons to any marginalized society uh, and and people who are told that they aren't this because they are that. Uh, it, it speaks a lot to that. It, it never really hits the nail on the head with any of these themes, uh, but I don't think it needs to. It opens up the discussion. And I've, I've made no bones about this on the podcast that I love a movie that doesn't tell me what to think. It doesn't say here's the thing and this is the right way to think about it and this is the wrong way to think about it and and i think this does to a degree but there again it doesn't hit the nail on the head it doesn't beat you over the head with it it lays it out here and and allows you to look at things from a different perspective and start the conversation as to why i thought this way about it and why i may think another way about it in watching this journey And, and we see that in some of these characters you see the joshua character who doesn't really give a shit about AI 
AI, doesn't give a shit about robots. He just wants to find his wife. And, and that's the only reason why he has Alfie with him is just so she can lead him to his wife. But along the way, he realizes how special she is and how loving and caring she is and how human she is for not being human and more human and more compassion and more caring than actual humans in this movie. And you see his heart start to soften from being this hardened soldier that is very, you know, I I don't care about robots. We turn them off. It's not killing them. They're just machines. He goes from that to realizing that Alfie is more than just a machine and goes from her just being there to, to lead him to his wife to him actually becoming a protector for her by the end of it. I think one of the the most interesting realizations of how what one person thought, one character thought at the beginning of the film changed by the end of the film was the Colonel Howell character played by Allison Janney. She is this hardened military person who just is balls to the wall. We must kill all the AI and I don't care how we do it. Let's go in merciless. And then you have that one scene at the end where they finally find Maya and she kind of breaks up the party and there's uh, a little bit of a tension scene there and then the Harun character played by Ken Watanabe who a uh, fantastic actor uh, there wasn't enough of him in this of course you know there's a lot of movies where there's not enough of him in it but he does a really good job and really adds a lot of weight to any cast so it is always great to see him but he shoots this uh, this projectile which attaches to the back of Colonel Howell and it's an explosive that they kind of set up earlier in the movie but as the explosive is about to go off Alfie who a part of what makes her so special is that she control electricity with her mind and she can turn things on and turn things off and and change you know what a piece of machinery is doing just with her thought almost like AI computer telekinesis she stops this bomb from exploding even though this woman Colonel Howell hates her wants to kill her she still spares this woman's life and it's not until the soldiers around her start to take aim and they're going to attack this little girl who is saving their commander and, and that look on Allison Janney's face where she realizes what's going on this little child that she wanted to kill is saving her and she tries to stop the soldiers from from firing but it's too late and they start firing and breaks Alfie's concentration and then of course the bomb goes off where you know but that there's that split second where she realizes that all her preconceived notions about AI were wrong maybe she was on the wrong side of things and that you know this the small AI child is is saving her when she had no right to or had no purpose to uh, just doing it because it was the right thing to do. And that to me, that's that's part of what makes humans human is our capacity for that sort of selflessness, our capacity for that sort of love. All humans don't always display that sort of thing, but we have the capacity for it. And I think that's a big message in this is that's what makes humans truly human, the love the beauty we create, the capacity for compassion and empathy. And those sorts of things are are what make us human and not monsters like we, we can be sometimes. But I have to say, uh, the one actor that I thought stole the show in this movie, and, and John David Washington did a fantastic job with this character. He played... You know, he he felt like an ex-military or still military, I suppose. And you, you felt the need for him to find his wife that had been missing for all these years. You, you felt empathy for him. You felt every emotion in him. But really, uh, the one actor that stole the show was Madeline Yuna Voiles, who plays Alfie. She just did a phenomenal job she knocked this role out of the park and this is her first film maybe film period at least her first feature film uh you look at her imdb and this is what is on there and it's just stunning how she portrayed this role with such 
you know, humanity, I guess is probably the best word for it. And, you know, you, you watch her and you see all these emotions that they're towards the end. Some of those final scenes where she's crying and, you know, that would be tough for a seasoned actor or actress to pull off. But, but she's, she's knocking it out of the park and, and she really did. Uh, you know, all jokes aside, she really did capture the humanity of this character because this character is is a child. As an AI, it's still young. And, and one of the things that makes it special that this is AI that is going to grow and develop and get bigger and stronger. And she played that innocence of a child. I'm sure it was fairly natural for her being a child. But I think the the range of emotions that she had to go through in this... And, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a huge range. We didn't get to see her angry or anything like that. But the, the love, the innocence, the sadness, the sadness laced with hope there at the end in that final scene where she's, she's crying, but she's happy because of what happened and what it means for the greater future. It, it's a very bittersweet ending for her. And you feel that and you see that on her face. But uh, Madeline Univoyles, wow, I can't wait to see where this young actor uh, goes in, in the future because she is just, she did a stunning job in a stunning movie. And she really did avoid all the pitfalls that you get with a lot of young actors in films, uh, especially new young actors in films. I just was really kind of blown away by her performance and even more so blown away by the fact that she has not been in anything else but this. And you have to tip the hat to the casting department for for finding this young actress and giving her this chance. I mean, this whole movie was one big gamble from the studios to, to the casting. Uh, and we'll kind of discuss what I mean by that a little bit later. But ultimately, uh, this movie kind of plays out i mean there's no big twists or turns i think the one biggest twist is that you expected joshua to find maya and have this happy reunion and they don't because she was injured to the point where she was never going to come back she's on life support and because ai can't kill nirmada who she it turns out it's another kind of twist that she was the nirmada that they were looking for because her father handed that title down to her and and Joshua ended up marrying the very thing that he was supposed to be finding and killing earlier in the movie. A uh, little bit of a twist, but not terribly unsurprising. Uh, it was a little surprising that we were going to find her in the state where she is kind of in a vegetative state and that... Uh, he was going to have to euthanize her, essentially, so she can go to heaven. Which is kind of a theme we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but uh, kind of we'll talk about this first. And I think there was one other uh, twist that you didn't wholly not see coming. I kind of figured this is maybe where they're going, because at the beginning of the film, when we first see Joshua and Maya living their best life on the beaches of New Asia, uh, living with... AI peacefully, uh, you see that Maya is pregnant. Uh, her and Joshua are going to have a baby. And that's one of the things that kind of plays into the tragedy of did she or didn't she die and why he's uh, so hell-bent on finding her. It's not just his wife, it's his family, because if she survived, the baby might have survived. But I, I like how you find Maya in this uh, vegetative state. Uh, he has to euthanize her, but then it is revealed that uh, she created Alfie, and she used the scan of her embryo to create Alfie, create this superiorly advanced AI that is going to change the world. And they kind of allude to the fact that Alfie is is already imprinted to to be attached to Josh uh, because she is essentially an AI robotic representation of the child he never had. And, and to me that, you know, it's, you, you think about it, it's, it's kind of mind fucky, uh, but it, it did make an interesting, uh, interesting addition to the story, an interesting twist to the story. Like I said, I didn't completely not see that coming. I kind of, you know, in, in just 
various ways they portrayed this. I thought, oh, this, I wonder if they're doing this. She's definitely the surrogate child uh, for him that he never had. But this movie, it goes along fairly status quo for, for this type of movie. You had to figure that they were going to take down the the nomad space station that is a huge weapon for the humans in this battle against the AI and and Alfie was a huge part of that. But everyone was afraid of Alfie being the one to take down this ship uh, or this space station when it was actually Joshua who did the lion's share of the taking down of the space station. So it, it wasn't even this super weapon that the humans were so afraid of that was going to to destroy Nomad and and end the war for for humanity. It was it was a human who took down the space station, not without help from Alfie, but ultimately it was him and and his work that brought down humanity's greatest weapon. But I mentioned heaven a, a bit ago, and then I think that really played into the what is humanity? What does it mean to be human? There was a lot of talk of heaven in this, and not necessarily in a religious way, but but you can't not talk about heaven and have some uh, you know religious context to it. But it all kind of started in the scene that you see in the trailer so much, and it was such a a touching scene then, and just the way it played out in the theater on the big screen, it was that much more touching where Josh talks about heaven and she says, what is heaven? It's a nice place in the sky and will you go to heaven? No, I'm not a good person. Only good people go to heaven. And Alfie has that line, then we're the same. Neither of us can go to heaven. You because you're not a good person and me because I'm not a person. And it's a heart-wrenching to see somebody so young and so innocent saying that they, they can't go to heaven. But then, you know, you think about, well, the fact that she's a robot and an AI and doesn't have a soul. But what does it mean to have a soul? What gives a person their soul? It's nothing we do. It's something that's instilled in us. And who's to say that she wouldn't have a soul of some sort? I, I don't know. Again, it's one of those things that opens so many questions and and just the way that whole theme of heaven plays out through this, uh, the place where Nirmada is is located, Maya is located, is heaven, Tran you know, whatever word they use, I can't remember what it is right offhand, but it translates to heaven. And the very end where Joshua downloads Maya's mind into a almost like a flash drive and when they're up on the space station Alfie finds a robot that has Maya's face on it because she apparently donated her face to this program where AI can have faces too and she finds this Maya robot and uploads her her consciousness into this robot and then there's that last last scene and, and they do that solely so Joshua can have that one final scene. He said all he ever wanted was just one more minute with her. And he got that minute. And in that moment, was it was it was like being in heaven for him, a place up in the sky where you're you're happy. I don't think they were trying to make any points with with the whole heaven theme, but I think it again is one of those things that is just there to kind of make you think and allow you to add the context wherever you interpret it to be. I could be wrong. Gareth Edwards could have had a very specific thing he wanted to say that, and it's just going straight over my head. That wouldn't be the first time. But to me, that was a very interesting aspect, and it did play very well into the whole what is humanity theme of this movie, which I think is the bigger theme. And I tell you what, that scene, that last scene where Alfie is in the escape pod and Joshua is outside of it uh, before he meets up with uh, Robot Maya, that had to be one of the most tear-jerking scenes. I'm sitting there beside my brother-in-law, and I think after the fact, we both kind of made mention that we were both trying not to start whimpering and crying like babies because we didn't want to do that in front of the other. <laughs> but by God, that was a tear-jerker. And there, again, just Madeline Yuna Voyle's performance in that is just beyond her years. I mean, this, this kid feels like an old soul. Uh, because she just acts and shows emotion beyond her years as an actress and was just a, a that's one of the reasons why she is 
she stole the show in this movie. But ultimately, uh, this movie, just a, a stunning thing to watch, not just because it had fantastic actors, not just because it had a great director in Gareth Edwards, who, who really did a good job with this and was a part of the screenwriting, developed a story. He, you know, really put together a, a wonderful story for the screen, but everything behind the scenes from the, the cinematography to the sets and the set design and the locations. That's one of the reasons why this movie is so good, special effects wise, and cost a fraction of what they cost, you know, some of the big budget Star Wars and Marvel stuff that Disney does. You're talking about three three hundred and fifty million dollars for these movies. This movie cost I've seen anywhere from eighty to eighty-six million dollars to make this movie. And it looks better. The CG looks better than any of the Marvel movies I've seen in the past. I don't know how long. And you have to chalk that up to the fact that Gareth Edwards didn't use... I mean, I think they used that that volume screen that they used like on The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian kind of really popularized that. Uh, 1899 really used that a lot. They did some a little bit of work with that, but for the most part, every scene was on location somewhere. They filmed, I think they said, in about 80 different countries, and they used small film crews, went in guerrilla style, and just filmed all these scenes on location, then added the CG effects later. And I think one of the interesting things about this that they did that I think Disney could really take a cue from is the fact that... Gareth Edwards completed the film before they added any of the CG. So they had a complete film that they could work, okay, and and, and knew that they're not going to change anything because that's one of the bad things about doing some of these other Marvel and Disney things, Star Wars and whatnot, is that they're doing the special effects as they're filming and scenes get changed or things get changed. And that's why everything looks so rushed and the... Uh, special effects in the CG look a little sloppy or it's not as good as it could be because, you know, they're getting scenes given to them at the last second. Oh, we need this in it. Or, you know, that scene you worked really hard on, you have to change it because we want to do this with it because they've changed the story. And that's what Gareth Edwards did with this is that he gave his CG animators uh, a finished product. So they knew that everything they did was not going to be changed and it was going to be, you know, what they, they, they would have the time to work on it because they knew it wasn't going to be, you know, pulled out from under them later or hit the cutting room floor. So, you know, why put anything into this when I know it's not going to make the movie? They didn't have any of that. They had to complete a project and they worked on it. And my God, it really showed. One is that you had real live worlds that these people are in not just a bunch of green screen not just a bunch of volume effect uh it is just uh you know you're on a beach you're on a beach if you're in a city you're in a city and then they add the cg elements on top of that uh, as a as another layer and it just all looked really good that was one of the things that blew me and my brother-in-law away is the fact that the CG looks so amazing. I mean, there were a lot of times where you couldn't tell what was a practical robot and what was a CG uh, version of the robot. Uh, and it was just so good that it was really hard to tell. I know there were some things, and, and when you look at the behind-the-scenes stuff, they had people in gray suits filling in for, for robots, and they just kind of paced over them and mimicked the movements. Uh, you know, there's, of course, a lot of that in it, but... But so many of those shots, yeah, it was really hard to tell if it was a practical effect or if it was a CG effect because the CG was that realistic. And this is a movie, 80, $86 million to make it. It looked like a $300 million budget. And and I think under normal circumstances, this would have been a $300, $350 million movie to make. But Gareth Edwards spent his money wisely. Like I said, it was a lot cheaper to go on location and film as opposed to building a bunch of sets everywhere which you know building a set 
you know, that's several tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars building these sets. And that's where a lot of these movies, that's where a lot of their budget goes is set building. And when you take that out of the equation and you film on location, you don't have to worry about those sorts of things. So just, I, I think what Gareth Edwards did with this movie was a masterclass in how to make every dollar count and how to make an $80 million movie look like a $300 million movie and blow everybody out of the water. And I do have to mention the music in this because Hans Zimmer did the score for this and just such a a wonderful emotional score that it brought this movie to life. At any moment in this movie where you got feels, it was because of this score. And not only just the score, but the needle drops were really interesting because you spent a lot of this time in the New Asia territory in this in this world and there's a lot of needle drops from asian songs and there are there are some scenes where they they pull a song it must have been from the 60s because it had that 60s vibe to it but it is somebody singing in whatever language it happens to be but it, it just was really interesting to hear what like a song from the 60s early 60s would have sounded like in some asian country at the time you listen to some songs from the early 60s or, or, or even early 70s uh gary puckett and the union gap you, you know that sound and it's really like i said really funny to hear that sort of sound but with somebody singing in vietnamese or, or whatever so that was really interesting to hear all of those songs uh from a from a different culture as a part of the the needle drops of this movie where you're not used to that here in the united states you're used to hearing especially in like a lot of those uh vietnam era movies that featured a lot of songs from the 60s you know we're used to hearing stuff like credence clearwater revival fortunate son or uh, riders on the storm from the doors or, or stuff like that so this movie kind of you know having that vibe of those vietnam war era films it, it was kind of interesting instead of hearing those uh, american songs that we'd normally hear hearing like the uh, maybe not the asian version of that but uh, asian songs uh, of that era uh, in this movie it just it really added some texture to this and it made it very similar but different if that makes any sense it it made it familiar because you know you, you know the sound but different because you don't know the song you don't even know what the unless you can speak whatever language from whatever asian country the singer might have been singing in you really don't know what is being sung but like i said it's that familiarity but but different all at the same time so that really added to the atmosphere of the film and this film really did have a tone and an atmosphere to it it felt very much like i said some of those old vietnam war era movies of the the 80s uh it definitely had a blade runner vibe to it sometimes it almost had an apocalypse now feel to it and i know that uh, gareth edwards used you know those movies blade runner apocalypse now rain man et even paper moon with uh, ryan and tatum o'neill as inspiration for this movie and you could really see some of that inspiration showing through and and some of the story beats and some of the the feel of this movie certain scenes look like a futuristic version of something that might be out of uh, apocalypse now or again like one of those 70s 80s vietnam era movies some of the city scenes felt very much like blade runner yeah he had that that feel of the older man caring for the younger child in this case a female child it very much felt like you know some of those scenes with ryan and tatum o'neill and paper moon or or even rain man you have you know kind of the the protector and the protectee and where the line blurs is who's protecting who it just you you could feel a lot of the influence of gareth edwards some of the things he drew inspiration from in this movie which made it so fantastic and and i hope successful that's the thing though i mean this movie only cost a fraction of what it should so i would hope it's going to make money but people got to get their asses in the seats and watch this in the movie theaters. And, and I hope they do because everyone took a gamble on this. You know, I talked about the casting director taking a gamble 
on a young actress like Madeline Una Boyles, and she's never done anything. It's a gamble that paid off in spades. I'm sure when they had her her you know, casting for this and running through lines, they were like, oh my God, we, we've struck gold here. But you even have taken a gamble on the way they filmed this, going guerrilla style, small crews, traveling to 80 different countries to film, to try and cut costs. Uh, that was a gamble. And it paid off because the the film looks stunning. I, like I said earlier, Gareth Edwards really does a lot in showing you scale in his movies. And, and that is on display with this, with these big epic vistas and and the small looking person and, and the, the big machine and the tiny people running around. It's just uh, a wonderful looking movie but it was a gamble in how they filmed it in the cost that they cut that allowed them to take more time in other areas to just make everything look sharp in the way it should be and it was also a risk on 20th century studios part taking this movie that you know once upon a time you know studios bought movies just on an idea now these days, it all has to be IP, and it all has to be established franchises, and it all has to be a sequel, or a reboot, or a spin-off. And that's why you get this feeling that there is nothing new in Hollywood. I, you know, there, I know there's a sentiment during the writer's strike. I, I've seen people online talking about how, you know, just let them strike and get rid of them because they're not coming up with anything new. They're not coming up with any interesting new ideas. It's all the same shit rehashed. And, and while that may be true to a point, but that's the kind of shit that studios are buying, I think there is a lot of really interesting original ideas out there, and the creator is one of those. And 20th Century Studios took a gamble on that. 20th Century Studios took a gamble on that movie we talked about uh, last week, No One Will Save You. Now, granted, that didn't get a theatrical release. It got a Hulu streaming release, but they took a gamble on that. That was an original idea, and... The, the filmmakers knocked it out of the fucking park. Uh, I really wish that could have been a theatrical release uh, because it was probably one of the more original ideas for an alien home invasion movie that I've seen in a while. So 20th Century Studios showing that they're they're willing to take some risks on some new ideas. So hopefully this is a trend that keeps going. Now, granted, 20th Century Studios is just another way of saying Disney. Hopefully Disney maybe uses 20th Century Studios as their experimentation grounds. And, and that's maybe going to be the vehicle for, for some new ideas that aren't just Marvel movies or Star Wars movies or some other franchise movie. Uh, I, I hope so, because I think there are a lot of interesting new ideas out there, and I think there's a lot of interesting new ideas out there that are going to make for great cinema. And Gareth Edwards proved that you can take a good idea, do it on the cheap, but still have it coming out like 300 million bucks. So those are my thoughts on the new film, The Creator, uh, just top to bottom, from the directing to the cinematography, to the music, to the acting, to the effects, practical, digital, CGI, all the special effects. Uh, just a fantastic movie. One of my favorites of the year. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say my favorite so far this year because there have been some really good movies this year. Not a ton, but there are some. But this is really in the contention for one of my favorite movies of the year. And for however long I've talked about this, I'm not sure where, where we're at time-wise, uh, there's so much more I could have said. I try not to get into too much play-by-play -play because I do want you to go watch it if you haven't watched it yet and you're still sitting here listening to me talk about it. I've probably given some things away, but hopefully I didn't give too much away and give you a sense of just how epic this movie is. And yeah, it may be a little bit of a slower paced movie, but that really is kind of the essence of Gareth Edwards' style. It's not slow to be monotonous and boring. It's slow to give you enough room for characters to develop and themes to develop, and you are going to get some action. I mean, it is Gareth Edwards. He does movies that have a lot of action set pieces, but that in-between time, it's still going to be some interesting character development. And while the movie may progress in a methodical pace, it is all to serve the greater message of the movie. And the greater message of the movie 
is worth sitting in your seat and watching it for. Granted, like I said, this one probably could have been trimmed down to about two hours. It's about two hours and 13 minutes. But I'm not disappointed that it took as long as it did because it was still very captivating and still very much, uh, even though there weren't a ton of huge twists and turns, I still felt on the edge of my seat as to where is this going to end up. And hopefully you did, and hopefully you will if you go watch this movie. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on The Creator. One of the best films of 2023 thus far. Go check it out if you haven't already. If you have, hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I do. And I look forward to watching it. I know my wife wasn't able to go to the movie theater with my brother-in-law and I the other night. Uh, but I know she wants to watch this. So I can't wait till it comes out on streaming so we can sit down and she can watch it. And I can watch this again. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it that much. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on The Creator. Check it out in movie theaters right now. And also check out what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook and uh, Instagram pages. We're always uh, posting various things that deal with horror, fantasy, and science fiction. No matter where you listen to this podcast, please uh, follow it, subscribe to it, like it, whatever you're podcast platform of uh, choice calls it do that so you can stay on top of all the new episodes as well as leaving a review five stars would be awesome but whatever you do uh, the most important thing you can do is to share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction and spread the word about what we're doing here if you like what you're listening to and you enjoy listening to me uh, talk about horror fantasy and science fiction uh, god bless you if you do uh, because you're doing God's work. But if you could uh, pass this along to anyone else you think might enjoy it as well. Maybe not as much as you, but they might enjoy it at least a little bit like you do. Uh, we'll take them as well. Bring them into the family. But please share the podcast with anyone that you know that loves great genre films, TV, books, uh, music, what have you. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!